we're opening up the Bible in Joshua chapter 9, if you have, uh, sorry, Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to look from verse 8, in fact. Uh, this scripture starts, and Joshua, the Bible says in verse 1, sent the spies, and he said to them, he said, secretly cross over the Jordan. The Bible says that they crossed over the Jordan and they entered the house of Rahab, Rahab, who was a harlot. And they went into a house which was built. And I guess the setting for this morning is the walls of Jericho, uh, the, 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 the base, the grounding, the foundation of the walls of Jericho. Uh, scripture tells us that her house, um, excuse me if there are kids in the room, I'm going to try and keep it as PG as we can. Her brothel, uh, her place of work, her income is built into the wall of Jericho. So you don't go through the front door. This is like built into the wall on the side. Well, I find it interesting that, that when she, Joshua said to the two spies, go into the land secretly or silently and spy out the land. In verse 2, it says that rumor got back to the king that the spies had come into the land and they were spying out the land. And, and you know, I even uh, I thought of that and shared this morning uh, something that dawned on my heart is sometimes what we think is for us and is for secret, God wants to shout from the rooftops. And, and I think that's why I love testimonies like Zach's and, and and the other lads that are coming through and people's lives that are being transformed, not just out of addiction, not just carrying deck chairs around doctor's office, being high on crystal meth, but, but God can save the person in the penthouse just as much as he can save the person in the street and the highway and the byway. And so this scenario is happening where Joshua has sent the spies and they enter into the house and rumor gets back to the king that uh, the spies have come into Rahab's house. And essentially Rahab kind of sends them off on this wild goose chase. She says, hey, they went up there, turn left, turn right, turn left again, and you'll find seashells on the seashore. I'm just kidding. She just said, just go. And, uh, and the Bible says in verse 8 that when the city gates closed down or when they shut, um, after she had said, go quickly after them, it says, but she had taken them up onto the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out. These are the spies. Excuse me, that's verse 6. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies that leads off to the fords of the Jordan. I'm coming to verse 8. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down that night, she went up onto the roof and she said to them, this is the spies she's talking to, I know that the Lord God has given you this land. She goes on, she says, it's not just that I know that the Lord has given you this land. She says that a great fear of you has fallen on us. I like I like that, and that's key in a few moments on us, not just on me, just not on my household, not just on, on my circumstances, not the people visiting my place of work, but she's speaking corporately. In other words, across the city of Jericho and maybe into the lands of the promised land, an awareness of what God has done for the people of Israel has actually spread. This rumor has gone out what God has done. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear has fallen on us, those who believe. And all, excuse me, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have now heard that the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and you took on a few kings and the Amorites, the east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. In verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and the earth above. I just feel to stop right there. God encouraged Joshua and his people to be strong and courageous. I feel like I'm speaking to someone in this room. You actually feel like your challenge, your workplace, the colleague, your bank account, your problem, your diagnosis, actually you're giving it more power by giving it more courage. But what we hear, hear is what seemed like an insurpassable land, 
the people actually had less courage and God called Joshua and his people to have more courage, could having more courage in situations where you feel intimidated cause you to walk more in faith in the name of God? That's just a thought. You can have that one for free. Uh, For the Lord your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth below. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me, she said, by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a, a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to me, my aunties and my everything else, and you will save us from death, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills, for the pursuers will not find you there. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this this red scarlet cord, unless you have tied this red scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. It's interesting that a red scarlet cord appears at this point of the journey and it's not even to empower the people of Israel. It's not to empower the sons and daughters. It's not to add strength or add courage to Joshua. In fact, the narrative actually changes to this lady Rahab. The scripture goes on after they've told her to bind this scarlet ward to the window. It's interesting that they use the word bind there. The New King James, uh, the NIV says, tie, unless you enter the land and you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you had let us down. And unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brother and all of those into your house, if any of them have gone outside of your house into the street, the blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. And for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if anyone lays a hand on them. But if you you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath. In other words, if you go and dob on us to the city officials, we will be released from this oath. Last scripture for this morning in the context of this. Uh, Agreed, she replied, let it be as you said. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Father, I thank you this morning for the testimony that has already been established, Lord, in Zach's life and in the lives of people uh, throughout the course of this week, Lord. I thank you, God, that you are touching people, that you're saving outside of the context of a corporate worship gathering, and we are essentially becoming the church in the city that is impacting the city. Father, I pray that you would give us a fresh harmony, a fresh tone for what the sound is that would go through this city, that would touch it at its very bones, at the roots of the DNA of what it is. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be a church in the city. Father, for every person in this room who's facing loss, grief, insecurity, diagnosis or prognosis, I thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, every other knee shall bow or every knee will bow. And Father, I just declare and thank you, Lord, that you bring joy where there is mourning. Father, I thank you that where there is darkness, the light comes in, darkness must leave. And I just declare this over mindsets this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. So we pick up the story here and we're at the base of the city. We, we've heard what's going on. And, and, and I want to give you three quick thoughts really and speak. Actually, 3.1 quick thoughts uh, because one gets exaggerated and becomes 
1.1 or 2.1, depending on where you're at this morning. Uh, But it's interesting and I find it fascinating that God is unstoppable in the context of what's taking place. If I were to give it a title this morning, I would call it unstoppable. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead of where I was this morning already in the 8.30 service. And I would say unstoppable if chosen. Uh, See, essentially, when you have God on your side, if you choose God and walk in the favor and the blessing and the anointing and the awareness of not just the anointing of the Holy Ghost, but with God, if you choose Him, uh, uh, things won't stop you. In other words, when God is on your side, you may come up against a brick wall, you may come up against sickness, you may come up against grief, but it will be unstoppable because the Lord is your strength. And when we lean into God, we can do all things through which Christ who strengthens us. Can I get an amen? And so there are seasons, there are times, there are days. I've even been through them myself. But I find it fascinating that at this particular point, Rahab has the spies come into her house. And Rahab makes a decision like she enters them and we have to understand like like she's probably a little bit shrewd like she's a businesswoman she has this in her dna if you will up until this point at least and rahab up until this point has has dealt in finances in cash probably even in barter but i find it interesting that when the spies come in and she has an opportunity to grow in wealth maybe to inquire a thousand acres of land or a farm or some livestock That when she realizes, and her words are that fear has come across the land, when she realizes that the God of Israel, and again, in her language, your God is the God of heaven, the one true God, the God of Israel, when she realizes and depicts and calls this out, she doesn't ask for money and gold and silver. She's not worried about payday. She actually makes this plea. She says, I want my family to be saved. I want my auntie, my uncle, Uncle Tom, even though he's annoying and smells. Auntie Jill, she's a loud snorer. I want my family to be saved. And she says, this is all I ask is that my family would be saved. It's interesting that she does this deal. And the notion of what takes place is they say, put this red scarlet cord in your window. And I want to break the ice right now. The red scarlet thought cord is a representative of the blood of Jesus. So it's a type and shadow of what happens in the future that we're living under now, the new covenant, the grace, the mercy that has come from the cross, the shedding of the blood of Jesus, which paid the ultimate price. So when they told her to put this in the window, it was a representation of us declaring the blood of Jesus over our households. And it gives us a type and shadow that when we declare the blood of Jesus over our house, that our house will be saved, that our house will be protected, our house will be looked after. Even when other walls come crashing down, God says, because the blood of Jesus is over your house, you will be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You know, we get to this particular point in the story, and I just want to stop. I heard a great preacher say, even over the weekend, that politics, Hollywood, not even natural disasters can invade your home. The only thing that can invade your home is what you invite in. Woo! Did you stop on that Instagram photo while you were sitting on the couch? Did you tap the thread? Not the, th- the blood thread, but did you tap the other thread? Why won't you share the passwords with the rest of your family? Why don't you leave your phone on the bench? What are your kids watching? Oh, I'm just being transparent. This week, we've had to do some like game like sorting out, if you know what I mean, in my house. 
for what my seven-year-old's playing on, on, the, on the Xbox. We had to like do some clearing, like I'm preaching what I'm living right now. But this, another person said, we are facing things in this world that a philosophy and a theory just won't fix anymore. It must be the hand of God. And I want to tell you that the hand of God has already done what God is going to do. God is still powerful. His anointing still pours out. The Spirit of God is still active. His eyes still look to and throw the earth. He's still seeking after those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. But unless we choose to participate, I don't know how unstoppable we are. The first thought that I have for you this morning is your family can be saved no matter what your background is. I need to say that over here. Your family can be saved no matter what your background is. Come on. Your family can be saved no matter what your background is. Rahab ran a brothel, speaking in PG terms. She, she would have been seen as less than or a lower class. You could say morally, probably bankrupt, maybe trapped, possibly caught in addiction even because of the trade and the, uh, the, the, the abuse that goes with that. Maybe even she was imprisoned by the generational trade or craft that her family potentially bore her into. And I love where most people probably would say no to a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance or 12 chances in my case. God said yes. Hey, I'll use that. I'll use that. That faith that you've got that just declared that, that, that God is, is coming and, and, and the fact that you hidden the spies, like we'll talk about the fact that you lied uh, to the king's officials a little bit later on. But over here, uh, I love that you're giving me your yes because when you give Jesus your yes, it enables him to change your whole world. And see, not just change your whole world, but change your whole lineage. Your identity flows from Father God to you, his son or his daughter. What you have been saved from is not as great as what you will be saved for. In the book, David perceived, was perceived as a king says. In fact, he said to Rahab, not just, yeah, cool, it's all good, you're going to be safe. But he said specifically, and this is a message to us today, that if you would get a hold of the scarlet cord and you would bind it in your window, that this would represent that your household is significant and different from everyone else in the city. And by the identity of the scarlet cord or the blood of Jesus over your family, I'll identify you and you will be saved. See the scarlet cord, the thread of Jesus, I think it's probably a good point to bring up and maybe someone needs to hear this now. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in an interesting time. He wrote Second Corinthians to back up his first letter because there was all sorts of confusion going on. And he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all have become new. There is nothing in your past that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. From the moment that you declare and invite Jesus into your heart, your past, your trajectory, not just forward, but also something is cut off. It's called being born again. It's a transition that takes place from one life into a new life. The old, which is dead, has now become alive and new. In chapter 3, it's interesting of Joshua. We're not there yet, but I'm going to jump ahead. The Ark of the Covenant becomes a crucial part of Israel's journey. The Ark of the Covenant, Israel is encouraged to primarily for the most part of this chapter or the book of Joshua uh, is, is instructed to be carried in front of the people. I think it's to bring remembrance to the people. And it's interesting because if you look at the Ark of Covenant, you'll see what's in there. The Ark of the Covenant had the jar of manna, which represents the manna where God's provision came to Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, a photo might pop up shortly or I'll just keep 
doing this like I'm dancing. And, um, and, and the, 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 the rod there represents the rod of Aaron, which budded and acorns came out. And then we have the tablets or, or, or the Ten Commandments that were written down by the finger of God and Moses carried down from the mountain, which were broken. And what God said to them is put them in there. And it's interesting because there's an atonement cover that goes on the top. And there's a whole nother sermon just in the word atonement and cover. Uh, but then this top, this mercy seat, in other words, in simple language it's called, is placed over the top. And see, mercy is always over the top of discouragement. In fact, I I wrote it a little bit differently in this. Mercy is always over us. This representation here, if you're not following, actually, it it depicts a different picture than we know as just where the presence of God dwells and the Shekinah glory, and it was in the Holy of Holies. See, the rod of Aaron, let's just start there, is is, is a representative of where there was uh, a disagreement, if you will, of not just leadership, but the biblical priestly leadership role amongst the family, the sons and daughters. So when God looked down, he realized that the people were bickering, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, and they were, para- they were, they were bickering about who was to be of the priestly tribe. And so what God said is bring 12 staffs out, one from each tribe. They're all the same. They all were dead and without budding. They're all sticks, so to speak. And he put them out, and overnight they came back, and they realized that Aaron's staff is the only one that had budded. In other words, God was appointing Aaron and re-establishing and affirming over the people, and there was a negative consequence that came to the people that challenged uh, the Levitical lineage, if you will, the biblical lineage, the priestly lineage of Aaron in the camp of Moses. So when we look at the staff and we realize that it's in the box, it's actually not in the box for a good reason. It's actually inside the box and covered up because it represents a time in history where God had to in a sense, punish his sons and daughters for arguing about who was going to be the pastor, who was going to be the Levitical priest. The manner, the manner is what we think is, it's amazing. God provided for the Israelites. I don't know how it would be eating the same thing morning and night for 40 years. And see, I think that's the way the Israelites felt. They're like, hey, we're going to whinge and complain. You know, I don't think God's master plan at all was that they would be there for 40 years. Someone said it's an 11-day journey or trip from the location that they were trying to get to, yet they went around in circles for 40 years because they were negative and they complained and they whinged. And when God looked down and saw his people that didn't understand that they had an identity, a purpose, and that God wanted them to be unstoppable in the promised land, he realized, no, I need to just keep these guys here because if I let them loose in the promised land, they're only going to bring more destruction to themselves, which seems to be the picture of Israel, God's chosen people, time and time and time again in the course of history. So when we see the jar of manna in the, in the ark, or the box, if you will, it actually doesn't represent like an awesome time where God provided the manna. Morning and night, there was food, there was surplus. It actually represents a time where they grumbled and they were negative and complained and they went round and round and round in circles. So they were told to put that in the box. The, lastly, and, and, and I want to say this a little bit more gently than I did in the last service, I think I offended some people, but, 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 but the, the, the Ten Commandments where Moses came down the mountain, like you have to understand at this particular point, the children of Israel, they're still negative, they're still chewing on the manna, there's still some bickering going on, and they turned to Aaron and they said, Aaron, we, we, we want you to build us a new idol, and this was a learning curve, I think, in, amongst itself. And what they did is they built the golden calf, 
And so when Moses is coming down from the mountain, because he took a little bit of time, they're like, dude, you are like on a ticky tour. Like, what happened to you? Uh, And Moses is coming down the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments. He's just been in the, the presence of God soaking where so many of us just love to stay. And he looks down the mountain, he sees a golden calf, and it's like a half-naked dance party. All the people are just like worshipping this God, and Moses drops the commandments. See, when they were told to put those tablets of stone in the box, and then put the atonement cover over and the mercy seat over, it was actually God saying, hey, I'm covering up your sin. My mercy is sufficient, I'm going to cover that up as well, and it's going to remain in here but it's going to remain in here as a, and again, there are so many different ways we could depict this, but it's going to remain in there as an icon that you can look at to remind yourself and understand that my mercy was sufficient and that I was with you and I was for you in those times. I think as well, probably to identify a place of not wanting to go back to. In other words, when they repented and turned away, it probably shouldn't have gone back. See, what happened is when they placed the mercy seat, the mercy is always over our sin and always over our negativity and all always over what they did is once a year when this ark was placed in the holy of holies so there was an outer court there was an inner court and then there was the tent with the curtain with the holy of holies and there is more to that as well but a priest would come in and what the priest would do is he would bring the blood of a bull and once a year he would come in and he would sprinkle the blood of the bull over the mercy seat and do different rituals within there and that covered his sin and his household's And then what he would do is he would take the blood of a goat and he would sprinkle that over the mercy seat. Because remember, mercy always sits over the negativity of the past. And when he would do that, it would atone for, if you will, it would cover over the sins of the past and the sins of what had happened throughout the context of that year. And if we were to look ahead in the context of the ark, Uh, the manna, the bread, and everything that's been put here, it actually gives us a representation of what happened with Christ. Again, it's a type and shadow of what we can see in Christ, and many people have various views. Again, it's a type and shadow, so you'll get it. Uh, But Jesus said, when we break bread, break the bread and drink the wine, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, And we know that as a representation, his body was broken, was the matter. Uh, The staff... uh, in a sense, represents the cross, but it also represents Jesus' acknowledgement that God is the ultimate supremacy and authority. But it also represents something that has died and been risen again, which was a representative of the life of Christ. He died on the cross, but then he rose again and budded, and now he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to us. And, And the commandments in the box and the mercy seat placed over the top reminds us that Jesus' blood shed on the cross was the covering and the mercy that we now sit under the blood of Jesus so that we don't have to perform this religious act or once a year because Jesus paid the price ultimately enabling us through the shedding of his blood over the course of mercy. So it's said that whenever God would look down underneath the context of the old covenant, he would look down and he would see the blood over the mercy seat and blood was the required sacrifice for sins of the past. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, He was tempted in every way, but without sin. Essentially, he became sin, as the scripture says, because the Bible says, cursed is anyone who is nailed to a tree or a cross. So Jesus became sin at the shedding of his blood was the ultimate paying of the price. So that set us free from living under the law, that we can now live under grace and mercy. 
and right now I should probably do a flow on of what it is to not just live this hypo super grace life, but we're not going to go there. See, as we look at this in the scheme of things, there was a time where the Philistines, and I'm making a point here, just bear with me, you kind of can't leave now anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. But, but there was a point where the Philistines actually over through the Israelites. There was a battle, there was a war, there was a fight, and the Philistines took them over, and they took the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it back to their camp, and the Bible says that they opened it. They wanted to see what was inside, so they opened the mercy seat, the atonement cover, and they looked inside, and the Bible says the moment that the revealing, uh, I'm paraphrasing, the revealing of the negativity of the past that God said, my mercy has been placed over, was revealed, 50,000 people in the Philistine camp dropped dead. Because what God placed his mercy over and what his blood was placed over was an ultimate price and sacrifice that was never to be revealed by mankind again. See, what God has forgiven, as the Bible says, has been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Who are we to bring up things of the past now? Which brings me back to the point, your family can be saved no matter what your background is because of the blood, the cord, the thread of Jesus that runs through if you choose him. I love that this is a type and picture where Rahab actually did choose Jesus. She chose God, and I know Jesus still had not yet come via Mary yet, but there's more coming, which is good. Uh, And so maybe your dad had a problem. I want to tell you, thanks to the blood, it's not going to touch your children. Maybe your mum had infection. Maybe your mum was into a cult. Maybe your uncle, maybe your great-great-grandfather. I hear so many times, yeah, he was a, 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 a henchman or, or, or whatever the, the, the secret society is. But I want to tell you where the blood of Jesus is. And when you choose the blood of Jesus, it cuts off the sin and the curse of the past. And nothing is outside of the blood of Jesus. So when Rahab, a harlot owner who ran a brothel, came and said, hey, I believe that God is the one true God, and I believe that you guys are coming in, and you know what, I want to I wanna join your camp. When they said to her, place the scarlet thread over your house, it's a representation of us today. If we're saying, hey, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we want to be changed, we want a life set free, we want to be transformed, maybe you're already saved, maybe some of us are just being convicted right now that, hey, I need to get back into my prayer closet. I need to declare the blood of Jesus. I need to keep my house hold sacred. Remember, nothing can come in unless you invite it in. The second thought that I have for you is it's on you. It's kind of hard to say from me looking at 150 of you, but it's on you. Effectively, it's on us. The responsibility, let me read you the scripture. It says here as she was talking to them in Joshua chapter 2, verse 21. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. But then she, she, Rahab, she bound the scarlet cord in the window. She didn't rely on her auntie who was the praying auntie. She didn't rely on the pastor. They didn't call the youth pastor to come over and look after the kids while they were waiting for the Israelites to come in. They didn't, like there's a point, and I'm not saying don't call us the pastoral team, but if your dependency on a Monday to Friday outside of the context of availability, or your dependency is your relationship lived 
with God through someone else vicariously, I want to tell you that's not actually a relationship. And God has actually allowed his son to come and walk the earth and be without sin, to die on the cross, so that every single one of us can have an intimate relationship with him. And so what they said to Rahab was, Rahab, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to take responsibility. You're going to have to be the one that binds this to your house. They put it on her. She wasn't encouraged to get anyone else involved. They said, it's up to you. So I want to tell you, you're unstoppable if you'll choose him. You know, if I were Rahab, to be honest, just be transparent, this is kind of like my behavior anyway. Like, if I was told to bound, bind that, the New King James, the NIV says, tie it to your house. And if that was me, I would, I'd be out there checking that, man like I'm checking my pool every day to make sure the pump's working because it costs a lot of money when it breaks, right? Which it did recently, and that was a pain in the butt. And so, come back to the scarlet thread, everyone. And the scarlet thread, like, like I would be out there in the morning, I'd be like, hey, is it there? Is it tied up? Like, like, like checking the knot. Like, like, I know that the responsibility is on me. So my question for you is the same question I asked myself this week. What's my authority over my own house? And then it went deeper. What am I actually allowing into my house? Which is where the iPhone thought came from and where the video game thought came from. You know, even in the last two weeks, I was just studying this out before I ever preached it and got it in my heart. The moment I read this, I knew that I needed to start talking to my kids, even though they're only five and seven. Like my, my little three-year-old knows how to talk to Siri and to Google. Google, can you play Mr. Bean the cartoon? Because that's better than Mr. Bean, the reality. And I heard that this morning at like 5 a.m. this morning. Hey, she's, she's going, hey, Google. She's like, Dad, he's not talking to me. I'm like, hey, Google, <laughs> turn on Mr. Bean, the cartoon. Turning on Mr. Bean, the cartoon. But the truth is I need to put boundaries up in my house. I said to my son, I said, buddy, I don't want you, he's in the auditorium now or was, I don't want you going into your room watching your iPad. Because if it's just as easy to talk to something and it to turn on something, it's so easy just to flick the wrong switch and see, here's the deal. I'm responsible for my house. I heard someone else talking around the context of this story. When that kid gets a mortgage note or gets a deed on the house, then they can have authority and they can speak. But up until the point where they're paying money and where they take control of the house, they're underneath my house. And it's my responsibility to take control of what's coming in to my house. They told her that it's on you. I would follow Rahab. I would have checked that morning and night. You know, I shared with this morning service and Matthew 6.33 is a life scripture for me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. It actually took a whole new light. You know, I love that the scripture is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. And when you read it, as the scripture says, and again paraphrasing, it says that at the point where you need to know the Holy Spirit will bring revelation about what's already stored up, what's already there. And I love it because I was reading this and God just highlighted a whole new dimension of Matthew 6.33. See, the Bible says here, it says, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will be added to you or all things will be added unto you. And God sort of translated it a little bit. I'm not changing the Bible. I'm just saying this is the perception that I, you can look at it through. To seek actually could be implied to bind, to make a decision to tie tightly or to make your first priority. 
Rahab was told to tie this thing, to make it the first priority of what she did and keep that there and keep the people in her house. It was her responsibility to seek as no one else's responsibility as Jesus spoke to the disciples in Matthew chapter 6. He was saying to everyone and he's saying to us today, hey guys, it's your responsibility to seek first. It's your responsibility to declare the blood. It's your responsibility. What did he say seek? He said, seek first the kingdom. Well, the kingdom is where the king's domain is. So we could imply that as simple as seek first Jesus because Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. Jesus being with God and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. If you're seeking Jesus and you're positioning yourself in a place of awareness where Jesus is, you're actually and have sought out the kingdom because where Jesus is is where the king's domain is. And then I thought further, bind tightly to Jesus and the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The way that righteousness and the price that was paid for for us to be right standing before God was through the blood of Jesus. So bind tightly to Jesus and his blood and it will cover over you and your household. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. At this point, I need to tell Mr. Andrew, I want to tell you that it's because of the blood over your house that your son is here. I, I don't know if the Campeses are here, Mr. Steve, every parent in here, I'm looking around, Andrea and Dave, because of declaring the blood over your house is the reason that Laura is here today. If you want to have your children following in the lineage, you need to declare the blood of Jesus over your house and watch what God does. I, I look around the room and I see parents' faces and I want to tell you, it's because you bound tightly. My dad was here this morning and even when I was arrested getting deported, sitting in cells, in and out of transformation 12 times. I know that it was my parents. I know that it was my praying mom that, that, that was in her connect group, that even though I wasn't in her house physically, they were praying and declaring the blood of Jesus. See, when the line of the scarlet cord, the thread, the blood of Jesus attaches itself and is declared, authority is given to God to do what you want to do. And when you do that, something happens and it will bring back a generational line. I said to my mum this week, I'm like, mum, when I preach around and share my testimony, I've been getting like heaps of calls, which is random lately to come and speak, men's events and I see church and all sorts of crazy things. And I'm like, I kind of need to know the names. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you say that I'm a fourth generation pastor's son. Who are they? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like kind of on a need to know basis. Maybe I'm just still catching up in the renewing of the mind process. But she said to me this week, she texted me, Papa Robert Lewis Arnold. He was the first pastor in our family as such. He was like probably one of the first inhabitants of New Zealand as well by the generational line that I have. But his ministry was in Gisborne in New Zealand and he prioritized his ministry of evangelism to the Maori tribes of Gisborne. Then my great-grandfather, Pastor Alan Arnold, I don't know if you've heard of Equippers Church in New Zealand, but he led Equippers Church before it was Equippers Church and then handed over to Sam Monk's dad, who then handed over to Sam Monk and is now one of the biggest churches throughout New Zealand. Uh, see, that was my granddad. My dad, Pastor John Stephanie, most of you don't know, Pastor John literally is a pastor. Like he trained in evangelism school, which is where he met my mum in America. And then they carried the name of that school to Sydney and they planted that church and they declared the blood of Jesus over the church and over the household. I was born in New Zealand and we moved all the way around the world, we got kicked out and came back to Australia again where God, I guess, originally wanted us to be. The truth is, I just wonder, 
And I know that there is a great cloud of witnesses looking down, but I wonder if, if Papa Robert Louis Arnold uh, is the reason because of the blood that was declared over his family and the, 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 the cord of the blood of Jesus that attached itself to generations to come. I said to my dad this morning, my mum was in teaching kids church, I'm like, we don't understand that the reason we have a Hunter and a Macy and an Honor and a Jesse right now is because someone did, dared to declare the blood of Jesus over their household and it attached itself to a lineage and what once should have died literally like 20,000 times, was saved because the hand of God intervened. Now, it's so funny. We were here and a young man was here this morning and he said he's come from Upper Room Church. Like He said to me, he's like, to spy out the land. I'm like, awesome. He said he's been witnessing in Surfers Paradise all weekend. And he said, yeah, I met this big guy called Ransom. (laughs) And I'm like, we all know Ransom. And he's like, yeah, I just, man, God touched him powerfully in the middle of Surfers Paradise. And Frank and Janice were just standing behind me. I don't know if you guys are here, uh, but they were here in the last service. And, they were, and it's funny because I wrote down Frank and Janice's name. And I'm like, like, it's because we declared the blood of Jesus that our sons and daughters, I look at the back. Pastor Karen's here and, and Joe and, and his whole family was here in the first service. And I think, man, because of the declaration of saying, God, I know that you are the one true God. God has supernaturally, I think of story after story after story, generational person after person after person where God has intervened. Not everything is rosy and a bed of roses. But if you allow God and declare the blood of Jesus over your house, there may be a testimony that comes. Who knows who God wants to touch through what God is doing? But I want to tell you, if you would choose him, he is unstoppable. They said, you do the work. It's on you. 2.1, as I mentioned, they said secure it. I kind of implied this already. But the word that they use here again in the New King James is, is bind it. The translation in Justin's Bible says to tie tightly, not just to hang, to dangle, or to loosely or place temporarily. No, what they said is, hey, you need to take authority. You need to tie that thing. I heard another preacher preaching this, this message similarly. similarly. And he said, I, I wonder if Rahab, when she came home from the grocery shore from like Aldi, was like, kids, don't you dare throw the groceries through that window. And when there was playtime, she's like, kids, don't you dare jump out that window. And when it came nighttime, hey, when you shut the blinds, don't you dare pull. Now, she was encouraged to make sure that it was bound. I want to tell you that binding the blood of Jesus, declaring the blood of Jesus over your house, over your family, over your partners, over your children, isn't just on Sunday. It's not meant to be just a Saturday night thing when, when, when oh, man, I've got church tomorrow. I forgot all about it. Oh, Jesus ask for your forgiveness for everything I've done this week, knowingly or unknowingly. Lord, forgive me. Come on, I know what it's like to be busy. We've got like a a nine-week-old child. I keep getting in trouble because I keep saying she's like five weeks old, but she's apparently nine weeks old. I hope I'm right on that case. But I understand what it is to have to like look after life and change nappies and just go to work. But I love that's why God sent us the Holy Spirit so that we're empowered with the Spirit of God, so that we can speak in tongues of other languages. That's why we've been given the Word of God, so that we can remember it, so that we can chew it over. We can get the meat in us, that it brings us alive, and every time we read it, something new happens. See, Rahab was told to secure it. I shared this already. I literally have made some changes in my house. 
The Bible says, train a child in the ways of the Lord or in the way he should go and he, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you know what's crazy is when I actually got into transformations and like I'd been told Bible story, Bible story, Bible story, but I was like absent of mind in church because it was just the umbrella that I grew up in. I knew nothing else. And when you know nothing else and you step outside, you realize that you've actually stepped out outside of the context of church. And then when I was in transformations, I would hear stories and I'm like, man, I've heard that before. I know that. And it would come alive again because my parents secured the blood of Jesus over our house. They made a decision that they weren't going to just loosely hang it over it, but they were going to talk about it. I remember there was a time I was in transformations and I probably talk about transformations way too much. It's all right, isn't it, boys? Um, but there was a time I went back and I was like on this, this journey. My dad gets me up at 5 a.m. and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm on holiday. What are you crazy? I'm in New Zealand. He's like, let's just pray in tongues. And my dad's like American. Most of you know my dad's like, Shanda la bambu, shukum, bareyande bamba. I'm like, dad, I need a coffee. I was still trying to give up ciggies at that stage. I'm like, you know, like, like can we do this later? But see, it just, it, it just, it's, it's just an example of someone that, like, like I think of Pastor Steve, Kaz, I'm like, like you know, like, like, like still one of my heroes, like Pastor Richard, amazing. Like, like, like these are people that it wasn't just like this gig isn't just for Sunday. Christianity and Jesus isn't just about, hey, thinking about it on Saturday night, getting harassed by your connect group leader, the pastor always getting up there and singing and sounding crazy. No, it's because the blood of Jesus is attached to him and he can't get away from worshiping the one true God because he's so grateful for the transformative power. It's not just about a one-time thing. It's about a lifestyle. You say, what am I saying, Pastor Justin? We'll see her decision because she realized that nothing was impossible for God. No one was out of reach because she bound it and she secured it. As the keyboardist comes, that'd be awesome. Maybe the, the worship team. Her decision to bind the scarlet thread to her window saved her family, but it also changed the trajectory, the direction of where her family line was heading. I like this. I really like this and this blessed me so much. The scripture says in Joshua chapter 6, we're four chapters ahead. And you have to understand, the spies have come back to the land. There's been some consecration, if you will. It's a simple way and polite way of saying it in church. They've gone through some ritual rituals that God has asked them to do. And now they're taking out the walls and they take down the walls of the city and as Pastor Erica writes in her book, it's significant that they were encouraged to walk around the city six times and on the seventh day go around it seven times blowing the trumpet which is the ram horn which is shaped like a, like a half moon because the main god of the Canaanite people, I believe it was, having a mind blank, or the tribe, the community of Jericho was the sun or the moon so they would worship the god of the moon. So God, in a sense, when they walked around the city, mocked them. It's for a whole other sermon. We'll just get back to this one. And Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, after they've done this and the walls have come down, because she bound the scarlet thread, because she believed in the God of Israel, because she decided that she would do it herself, and Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, the scripture says, her father's household. It's interesting that, that, that she actually decided that she would step in the gap and that her father's household, 
so to me, that doesn't just say like, just, just like her kids and just her, no, 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 generations down, but also generations up. Granddad, great granddad, everyone that was in the house that day, speaking corporately, speaking consecutively. When God touches your life, you have no idea of the plan of who he wants to touch around you. Her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day. Obviously, this is written in the context of she's still there. Because she hid the messengers whom Joseph sent to spy out of Jericho. And not only is this representative of the time that it was written, but also the reason that it says that she dwelt in Israel to this day is because Matthew 1 tells us that the genealogy of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, it actually tells us, and I don't know if I've got all the greats right, but the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus was Rahab, who once upon a time ran a brothel and was a harlot. And because she dared to believe in the God of Israel, because she bound herself tightly to the threat, in the same way if we bind ourselves tightly to the blood of Jesus, we accept Him and we invite Him into our lives, then He can change and supernatural things can come from one decision that we make. This is the part that blows my mind. In Rahab chapter 2, she, out of her own mouth, she's talking to the spies and she says, we know. It's like a shadow has come across the land of the fear of the God of Israel. We all know, like Rahab, you have to understand, in the brothel and that side of business, like people were coming and going all day. She's heard all the gossip, all the rumors. But the very fact that the king says his sends his officials to the house tells us that the king also knew the rumors of the sea that dried up of the amorite kings of shiloh and org that, that got defeated and they knew they heard word as she said that you have been given jericho into your hands but she's the only one that chose god you know i think about the ark and i was reading this earlier uh, yesterday sort of midday when i was stuck at home with the babies literally stuck at home, nap time. And it said that when God spoke to Moses and the rain began, there were seven days. I don't know, I'm out of sync. And then he said, hey, bring seven of every kind of animal on. But it just seems like God is always leaving an opportunity open for more people to call on his name. When I read this, I thought, man, Rahab heard about it. But she's the only one that was directly affected by the hand of God moving and this unstoppable wave of God that was moving into the promised land. I want to tell someone today that just like Zach this morning and just like I think it was named was Sean the other day and just Shane and just like our other friend who's now found a house who I've watched for years beyond the streets, he used to live underneath a Chevron Renaissance with a shopping trolley. He's now in a house because something within him and mental health is still coming right and he's still like on a journey, but, but he's accepted Jesus. And now something has changed the trajectory of his generational line. Do you know that in the New Testament in what we call the Hall of Fame of the New Testament? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. 
with those who were disobedient. James chapter 2, verse 25, the brother of Jesus, he wrote this, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the, those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. And as I already shared with you, Matthew describes that she then became a crucial component in the lineage of the birth of Jesus. I wrote here, how will our stories be different if we invite Jesus into our heart? Would you stand with me in this place? That's crazy. We've seen people saved throughout the week. This week, in the last few weeks, last week, the morning service, two people. This morning, another young lady. And I've used this word saved, and it's because, as I was describing the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus, the Son of God, who was perfect without sin, but became sin by being nailed to the cross. He died on the cross, and at the shedding of his blood, paid the ultimate price so that any one of us, if we are lost, we can call on his name and we will be found. If we have sinned, we can repent and we can be forgiven. And I just want to ask, and it would be wrong of me for us to move on in this place. And maybe you're in this, this building and you know that you're not right with God. You know that your life maybe is a mess. Maybe not running a brothel like Rahab, or maybe you're living in the penthouse, but you just know that there's just something missing. Friend, I want to tell you it's Jesus. I don't want you to leave here not knowing that you're not forgiven. The Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. What does that saved mean? It means that He will come and He will live with us. He will bring revelation of who He is. He will reveal Himself to you. And He will also reveal Himself through you. But as Corinthians says, He's a gentleman. He won't force himself upon you. You know, Rahab made the critical choice. When everyone else was mocking, fearful, she said, God, I, I choose you. I'm going to declare it by putting this in my window. The amazing thing today is God has already chosen you and his blood is already accessible for you to wash away your sins to set you free from insecurity, depression, fears, demonic realm, whatever it is that's influencing, and not just you, but the rest of your generational line can be impacted by a decision that you would make today. Just with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this room and you know that you're not walking in a relationship with Jesus, you could title it as being a Christian, I prefer being a follower of Jesus, and you know that you're you're just not right and you know that you need saving the bible says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will be saved you will not perish but you will have eternal life i just want to ask if you're in this room and you know that i'm speaking to you maybe you've said this yes before and you've slipped away you've gone back into the old life you've gotten back into just things that are just not clean and you're just saying hey today Justin I want to invite Jesus back into my heart 
In fact, anyone in this room, you're saying, today's the day I want to invite Jesus into my heart. If that's you, I just wonder if you just shoot your hand up high. Just right now in this moment, every eye's closed. I see your hand, my friend. Love to pray for you. See your hand, my friend. Love to pray for you. See your two hands down the back. Love to pray for you. Anyone else in this room, you're saying, today's the day. Come on, we can give these guys a huge round of applause. Come on. Now, I saw some hands over here and some hands down here with my friends. Um, I've got wicked goosebumps right now. I kind of want to enjoy the moment because um, I know some of these people we've been praying for and declaring the blood of Jesus and to see a decision being made. I want to tell you that no one is too far off from Jesus' reach. No one is too far off. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? We can have a praise break for a moment. You know, at the back is a, a very handsome gentleman, John, sporting a similar haircut to myself. He looks like he should be the one preaching, actually. But uh, Pastor John um, would love to give you some info if you did put your hand up. Friends, if you're with someone who raised their hand, um, we don't want to stalk you. We don't want to hunt you down. But we want to just help you with this decision because sometimes making a decision to follow Jesus or follow something, you need information, you need guidance. And we'd love to help you on that journey of discipleship. Um, you know, I just want to show you something. How good is that? How good is that? Can we just give him another? You know, I know God saw the hands, but let's, let's just pray. Father, I just thank you. Why don't you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, today, on this Sunday, the 28th, the week before Easter, I give you my heart. I invite you into my world. I've sinned and I've fallen short, but today I thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I choose you. Jesus, come into my heart right now. Amen. 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 Come on, let's give our friends a round of applause. <clears throat> I just want to show you just simply, and these guys are going to do something upbeat, um, but I literally, I'm just going to be very honest with you. I didn't go through and search out scripture, but I just Googled scriptures on the blood. And some of you already are like, well, just gone down. But anyway, my debt is paid. I think we have this at the back once and for all. I want to tell you that there's power in the blood. You guys can keep going. It kind of felt nice. Um, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins to many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, Hebrews 9.28, I'm justified. See, the blood doesn't just do one thing in the context of just attaching and fixing our generational line, but, but it says here, I am justified, I am forgiven, I am spared from God's wrath, I am being spiritually healed one day at a time, my flesh is being replaced for the incorruptible body, I am spiritually alive, my judgment has been satisfied, and now I am at peace with God. The bloodstream of His people, Israel, was purged. Oh, I just want to go back and give you some scripture. In Him, we have redemption through His blood blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Uh, Ephesians 1, 7, Romans 5, 9, much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Uh, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live righteous, 
live for righteousness. By those stripes we have been healed, 1 Peter 2.24 says. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you will have no life in you, John 6.53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by the shedding of his blood through the stripes, through the brokenness of the flesh of Jesus, we have been healed. Isaiah 55, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed for the, for the Lord dwells in Zion, Joel 3.21. But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses from all sin. I could go on and I've got like pages, pages, pages. I want to tell you even now, if you're going into this week and you're like, man, I just want to get back to a place of strength. I want to get back to a place where I know that God is unstoppable in my world. Friend, I want to tell you that it's found in the blood of Jesus. About a year and a half ago, Chrissy and I went to a counselor that many other pastors go to and we were just talking, Pastor, uh, counselor Greg Gardner, and he stopped us and we were talking about the blood and he said, you guys, not many other people know about the blood. And then he said, if you don't know about the blood, you don't know anything. Because everything that we stand on the basis of even this gathering today has come and is founded in the blood of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, go out this week, connect group, prayer group, worship group, whatever it is. Father, I thank you that you have been exalted in this place. Lord, I thank you for salvation that has come to your friends this morning. Lord, I'm going to give it a number because every number matters. Lord, the five, six people, including Zach, that have said yes to you today. Father, I thank you that you're goodness endures forever. And Lord, I just plead right now in the same way that I pray over Hunter every night, Lord, I declare over everyone's mind in this place, a fresh washing of the blood of Jesus. Father, over our pupils, over our cornea, Lord Jesus, over every part of our mind, I pray and declare and we thank you. We give you authority to have your way in our worlds in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's give him a shout.